Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 8th of August, 2021. It is now 1.02 p.m. in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. On this segment, we are talking about the ruling Antigua and Barbuda Labour Party, the ABLP, and the next election in Antigua and Barbuda. The last elections were in March of 2018, and the next are due by March of 2023. Uh, but many believe there may be, or the elections rather, may be called well before then, uh, which of course any sitting Prime Minister does have the discretion to do. Uh, now, the current administration of Gaston Brown has enjoyed significant support in Antigua and Barbuda. In 2018, it took 15 of 17 seats in the Parliament, increasing its majority by one seat over the results of the 2014 elections. The ABLP has traditionally been the strongest political party in Antigua and Barbuda and has been in office far longer than any other party throughout the country's history. At present, it is concerned with patching holes in its slate. The Prime Minister revealed that polling had been done, or was being done, to gauge support for nominees in St. Peter. Uh, this is the seat currently occupied by the disgraced Labour MP Asset Michael, who had been at odds with the Prime Minister over Brown's loss of faith in the MP. Uh, Michael's apparent downfall came due to his alleged involvement in the Peter Verdi energy scandal, in which he was reportedly taped, demanding bribes. Uh, while numerous allegations of corruption had followed Michael throughout his political career, uh, the Verdi scandal is supposedly the straw that broke Gaston Brown's back. Asset Michael, a member of St. Peter, cannot serve in any government that I may lead in the future. Cannot. So you can bring the whole of St. Peter. My position shall not change. Now that's the Prime Minister speaking during the February budget debate when he and Michael sparred in the Parliament after Michael declared that he would not go easily. I can go off into the sunset, thank God, but I will not. I'm not ready to. And I'm not going to be chased out. But nevertheless, the disgraced St. Peter MP has been silent recently, so we'll be asking whether this is the end of Asset Michael's career in elective politics. Uh, besides Michael, the party is also dealing with another MP, Michael Brown in All Saints West, who is in court fighting a criminal matter. Uh, statutory prohibitions prevent us from discussing the nature of the charges. Uh, Brown was fired from his post as Education Minister when the matter was brought against him. Uh, the Prime Minister revealed that he is more concerned about retaining that constituency, All Saints West, than he is about St. Peter. Uh, the party may also replace Londell Benjamin in St. John's Rural West, according to the PM, depending on how he polls. Uh, now, besides the slate, the government's program has been turned on its head by COVID-19. Unemployment is very high and there has been far less money to go around. So, like any sitting government during COVID-19, the administration faces a battle over the state of the economy and how it has responded. Uh, additionally, there is strong anti-government sentiment for some over issues of COVID-related restrictions and vaccination. Uh, whether that current is strong enough to impact the government politically is also part of this discussion. So, our overall question is, how strong will the ABLP be when the next election is called? Uh, joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Mr. Carlin Knight, a political and social commentator, uh, an early student of politics at the UWI. He is now a graduate student studying economics further abroad. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Carlin Knight. Hi, good afternoon to you, Kiwan's listening public. Uh, and we're happy to have you. Uh, Dr. Oswald Thomas joins us as well, political and social commentator. He's currently Director of Political Affairs at the New York firm Paramount Communications and a member of the Antigua Barbuda Labour Party. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Oswald Thomas, and how are you doing? Good afternoon, Kian. I'm doing fine, and good afternoon to the listeners and the other panel. 
And finally, we are joined by Dr. George Brathwaite, lecturer in the Department of Government, Sociology, Social Work, and Psychology at the University of the West Indies, Cave Hill. Uh, he's a former consultant editor at the Caribbean Times. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. George Brathwaite. Uh, good afternoon, Kiron. Good afternoon, Antigua and Barbuda. Good afternoon, fellow panelists. Uh, glad to be here. The first issue I want to tackle this afternoon has to do with the economic impact and whether or not that will have any uh, political significance for the government. Uh, Mr. Carlin Knight, do you think that the pandemic and the, the struggle and the unemployment it has caused economically uh, will significantly hurt the government or do you think people will understand if the government says, you know, it, it was out of our hands? I think that the major issue with the pandemic at this point is the unfolding saga surrounding vaccination. So I think if there is to be any any blowback from the pandemic, I think the focus right now is across the region, this whole idea of vaccination and um, and how that, how, you know, the mandatory nature of vaccination and, and how the governments are going to sort of deal with that, 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 that idea. I mean, I mean, it's a pretty pickle because the, on the one hand, um, the government understands it's easy to protect um, um, public health. But on the other hand, I think that the, it's clearly unpopular in some sections of the public to have the idea of um, coercive methods being used to get people to vac get vaccinated. I think in terms of the economy, however, I think um, the longer the, the pandemic, of course, is protracted, the longer it goes on, um, the more the economic wars are going to be there. Um, and so that might be a concern for an administration going into an election year. But I do think that people understand that necessarily the protocols were necessary to protect public health. And I don't know that it's going to be um, that big of an issue coming from the perspective of, of, of employment. It may be, it should be, but it may not be as big an issue as the whole idea of whether or not you are indeed violating quote unquote people's bodily autonomy with this idea of vaccinations. Uh, well, Dr. Oswald Thomas, um, to the question of the economic impact, do you think that the impact of the pandemic economically is uh, likely to have a significant effect on public opinion of the government? Uh, how significant do you think it would be? Well, it's not going to have, uh, at this point in time, a significant impact on the government. I tell you, if the government has to uh, or, or were mismanaging this uh, affair, if the government had to lay off um, public sector workers in high numbers, then we would have a serious issue because government is the largest employer in Antigua and Barbuda. And therefore, uh, an employee of the government touched the lives of just about every household in Antigua and Barbuda. And at this point, when the hotels had to close and um, there was no funds coming in uh, to those persons who work in the sector. At least one member of the gov uh, from the government sector was working and carried that household. So, it, and then again, you look at the pandemic, you look at the, the what it is, um, and we are a tourist-based economy. And so people would understand why certain things have to happen. It's also um, important that person get the, 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 the message that Antigua's economy at this point also depends on the whether or not we can reach herd immunity in terms of vaccination. And vaccination, we know that it, it saves life. We know that um, once we are vaccinated, then it means that um, with all the flights and tourists coming, it means that 
you know you would have less um contraction inside of the community um by any and and you know with, with the foreign delta variant that is so deadly it's very very important so so there's a strong link between being vaccinated reaching herd immunity and and the economy being bounced back uh, uh, to a full um well, let me ask Dr. George Brathwaite. Uh, Dr. Brathwaite, we have seen parties retain uh, government in elections in the Caribbean throughout this pandemic. Uh, a number of them, however, did so earlier on. Um, Dominica had an election in December 2019 and the ruling party won, but COVID really hadn't hit by then. Uh, St. Kitts and Nevis is ruling uh, coalition retained government in June of 2020, but the recession was only a few months old. Uh, in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, the government retained office uh, in an election in, I think it was November of 2020, um, even though it actually lost the popular vote. Uh, but what, in your estimation, Dr. Brathwaite, will be the political impact on uh, the ruling party in Antigua and Barbuda of the current economic climate? At this time, and without the hard data certainly in terms of polls, um, I would say that there would not be a strong pushback against the ruling party in Antigua and Barbuda based on the economy. I think what the Antigua and Barbuda, the ABLP is facing that is likely to be more detrimental are the things internal to the political party that manifested in the public with two political parties waiting in opposition to seize the moment and to use the high unemployment, the uh, issues with vaccinations, the issue with COVID, whether it is properly or effectively being managed. The opposition will use those things then to rally against the ABLP. But as it stands, based on the economic circumstances and people understanding the fallout from tourism, which um, supports more, carries more than 60% of, of your economy and, and employment, which trickles down through all the sectors in, in Antigua and Barbuda, I think they will be hard, more hard pressed about the ABLP putting itself in order and perhaps the the, the, the rather than move or, or, or stick to internal wrangling when there is a country to, to govern. All right, well, uh, Mr. Carl at night, um, you, you, you introduced the, the second issue quite early on when you, you spoke about the issue of uh, anti-government sentiment based on uh, both restrictions and vaccination. There is a wave of anti-government sentiment being unleashed across the region due to COVID fatigue, I would call it. Uh, many people, for a, a variety of reasons, are, are fed up with curfews, restrictions on movement, mask wearing, etc. Uh, it's getting to people. I mean, not everyone, but there are many people who it's getting to. Um, in terms of vaccination, uh, many are either vaccine hesitant or they may be anti-vax, uh, and they're reacting against measures that, uh, as you said, are, are sort of pressuring uh, persons into getting vaccinated. Um, regardless of what one may think of the views of the persons who are anti-vax or vaccine hesitant, um, they, they still vote. So my question to you, Mr. Knight, would be, do you think that that anti-government sentiment uh, over the restrictions, over vaccination, will have any significant impact on the government? Um, yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, it, it depends. It, it, it's very hard to speak about uh, future events. I mean, it, it depends on when the election is called. 
and and how long this anti-government wave sentiment lasts. So um, elections in Antigua and Barbuda are not until two years away, at least, or at, or at most, I should say, not at least, at most. Um, it can come sooner if the prime minister wishes. Um, um, certainly, there are a number of variables that Im that impact people's decision in how they will vote. The, the question that the opposition has to, I mean, and certainly opposition is keen to to capitalize on this wave. Uh, I think there's just a problem with it in in, in the sense of um, they they have to be able to articulate what they would do differently, and that's the problem. I think. I mean, the opposition has to be able to say, yeah, okay, we recognize that you're frustrated with the pandemic, but this is why the government has failed in the management of this pandemic and this is what we would have done differently uh, and and what we think should have been done uh, could have been done much better so far it's just been yeah we 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 we, we see you're frustrated and, and that's it um and on the whole question of the vaccination i mean i think if most of the opposition uh if not all of the opposition members would have been supportive of vaccination indeed most, if not all of them, have been themselves vaccinated, I believe, by now. So I, I, I don't know that that's an issue that they can really sort of, you know, drive home, right? I mean, what do you say? Don't get vaccinated? I mean, that's irresponsible. But so, so, so it depends on, 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 on how they're able to sort of maneuver this wave into a sort of political force that can be used to land some substantial blows on the government insofar as the management of the of the crisis is concerned and i don't know if they have been doing that i can't say definitively that they have been well, let me ask that. you let me ask you mr knight um uh, in follow-up whether or not because you mentioned the timing would you say then that it would be politically unwise to uh have a snap election at short notice uh, while there is a, a, a bubbling uh, a pool of, of anti-government sentiment in relation to uh, restrictions and vaccination, yeah, I, mean, I think I think that that's a safe, safe thing, safe thing to say. But I also think that the government is really not thinking about elections right now. I mean, certainly in terms of its own party, it has to begin now to uh, you know get people more, get people into place, and get a full slate of candidates so, um, set up. But I think. Unlike the opposition, which can just concentrate on election, this government, the, the government has to focus on governing. And right now, its its main priority is getting through this pandemic with as few casualties and as 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 minimal um, loss to the economy as possible. And that is a full time job. So um, certainly, in terms of the party machinery. Um, those people who are strategizing and dealing with electioneering in in the party party machinery, uh, they may be uh, concerned about any any current government anti-sentiment that may try to wave it out. But I really don't think a snap election in this current environment is coming. Not least because um, there's just too much going on right now for us to be concerned with an election at this point when we don't have to have one. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Oswald Thomas, the government is still looking to have uh, 30,000 um, uh, additional adults vaccinated. Now, those could be vaccine-hesitant persons or, or, or anti-vax persons. Um, so, within the same uh, uh, line of questions as to the, the COVID fatigue and the, the sentiment over vaccination, uh, do you think it will significantly impact the government at the polls? Is there a chance of that, do you think? Well, that, if, if, I, I don't think it would at this point, but, but actually... If you look, um, uh, yeah, most of the government, sitting government who went uh, uh, to an election during COVID uh, retain 
uh, government. As a matter of fact, some even increased their majority in Parliament because the opposition was, most opposition was complaining about having election during COVID. And those persons were uh, very afraid to come out to go to the poll, fearing that they will catch something. Um, you saw the same thing happen in Bermuda um, and, and other places. So it, it's a, it, it can work um, good. And then you have to look at how widespread is the anti-vaxxers not wanting to take the vaccine. With a little more education, with some incentive, can we overcome that? Now, I think we are more than uh, 36,000 or almost 40,000 persons vaccinated. A, a large portion of that are young people um, on a certain age uh, who would be eligible for the Pfizer vaccine from 12 and up. And so uh, we're talking about um, 28, 29 schools, and you're looking at a few thousand um, young people who could be vaccinated and help you reach that herd immunity that you're looking for. Um, and at the end of the day, people will look and say, well, how was this managed? Was the government trying to save lives? And that matters first. And, you know, there was one thing that you can say that you have a prime minister, unconventional as he is, but he is on record of saying, I will stake my re-election on these measures. Uh, Dr. George Brathwaite, uh, your take. We have protests popping up across the world, uh, though each country's political situation is different, and it doesn't automatically spell doom for a sitting administration. Uh, but the fatigue especially, the feeling of frustration that, that many have with what daily life has become, uh, and uh, at times they, of course, transfer that, that frustration onto the government because it is a public policy uh, that enforces uh, various restrictions. Uh, many acknowledge that they're necessary, and, and many think that they're unnecessary. Uh, is that a terrible risk to uh, the ABL? heading into the next election? Uh, I do not think it is a terrible risk. However, I think it is something that you can be concerned about, not necessarily in terms of the anti-vaxxers, but it is in terms of how are you countering it in terms of your narrative? How are you... Um, looking to incentivize programs how are you how sound is your public education against the backdrop of all the misinformation and disinformation that that, that is being pushed across social media across all platforms that you can get on and i think uh that is why i say it is important for the ab the ablp to concentrate on what why it came to power and what it does best and what it has a great advantage of. And you started the program by speaking about it's the longest serving party. But when you're a longest serving party in, in your country, uh, this is the time that you rally your, your support elements, all of them, uh, because it is important that you preserve the status quo. It is, it is important that particularly in a two party, a two party system, you have three or four parties on it, but it's technically a two-party system. You don't want to be sharing anything. So, and you don't want to be giving concessions to the UPP or the NDP or any other party. So what you have to be doing, you have to meet your public midway. 
their public expectations. And as long as you begin to tap into these public expectations and meet these, you will defeat the anti-vaxxers and, and particularly what's that education and some small incentives are, are there. I do not see that being upsetting to the ABLP at this time. More upsetting to the ABLP would be the mismanagement of the internal affairs, particularly as it deals with party discipline. And I guess the calmness of their of, of their chairman of the party uh, might be a soft spot splitting the more um, pugnacious prime minister and the more um, unpredictable asset. Michael. Well, you just mentioned Asset Michael there. Um, Mr. Carter, tonight I'm going to play a clip for you and then I'm going to ask a question, but take a listen to this clip. I people went to all of his sister stores, bought all the red cloth, and lined from Market Street to the bottom of VC Bird buses, both sides, to show the resilience of his commitment to the Labour Party. He was the only employer, he was the only employer who marched every single Labour Day with the Antigua Trades and Labour Union and the ALP and he marches three picnic toddlers. The only employer, an Arab descendant, not even a black employer, joined with the working class people of this country to show resilience with the Labour Party. Uh, that was Asad Michael in the budget debate in February. Uh, Mr. Knight, does that, does that sound like a man who intends to part ways with elective politics? I mean, um, I, I don't think anybody is really expecting uh, Aston Michael to go quietly if he's going to go at all. Um, that's just not his his personality. That's just not what we've come to expect with his his politics. Um, and and everybody has some has their eyes on the same piece of seat to see what is he going to do. Um, there's a huge suspicion, a huge huge amount of discussion that he's going to run as an independent. He certainly intimated and hinted at this. Um, uh, well, I think what is clear is that the ties are severed as far as Gaston Brown is concerned, uh, and he, uh, he and Gaston Brown are concerned. That, that, that is um, a dead issue, it's not an issue. The Prime Minister has begun to um, move away from, has begun to select new candidates, has begun to screen for new candidates in St. Peter's seat. And I, so I don't think that there is any possibility of a reconciliation, at least not in the short term, with the Gaston Brown leading that party. Um, so um, the question now is where does Asset Michael go from here? Does he go as, a, as an independent? Um, and if he does go as an independent, what does that mean for the challenges of the Labour Party? Uh, this, is, this is a seat that has never voted for the opposition. Since we've had adult suffrage, it has only voted for the Labour Party. Um, so you can you can easily call it a garrison Labour Party seat, a safe quote unquote Labour Party seat. But the question is, is the safeness tied to the party or tied to the largest of Asset Michael? And there are many who believe that Asset Michael has been able to win the affinity of the people in that seat, large as a result of his 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 ability to help people directly. And if he goes independent, there's, there's an expectation he's gonna be able to take a huge swathe of voters with him. And that may may either lead him ended up in parliament. I don't think the United Progress Party person has a chance, but it may either be a straight fight with he ended up in parliament or the Labour Party winning by a very narrow narrow margin. Uh, and Dr. Oswald Thomas, uh, does Asset Michael pose a, a risk to the ABLP? Uh, could he run as an independent? What is your what is your view? Well, I mean, 
at this point, um, that is a hard one to predict because nobody knows for certain. And the worst that you could happen is that if Asad Michael doesn't run on the Labour Party ticket and he runs independent, he could take votes from the Labour candidate. Um, the UPP candidate could win or um, Asad Michael could break, make history in becoming the first person to be in, uh, elected as an a, a independent candidate. However, the, the question is, I believe that the um, Asad is also reasonable and perhaps uh, the leadership um, can persuade him to do otherwise and get buy-in from him if it is necessary uh, for that to happen. Asad would have to also consider since that the Prime Minister has already made it clear that he would not appoint him to any ministry or to serve in his government uh, on any future government. Uh, he has to determine what political capital that he has and decide to, to, to go forward. Now, Asad may very well be thinking uh, that I could run independent and I could become a kingmaker and maybe even become prime minister if there is an 8-8 eight, eight, uh, seat between the two major political parties. And whoever wants my seat would have to make me prime minister. Uh, and uh, Dr. George Brathwaite, what is your assessment of the risk that uh, Asad Michael poses to the Antigua Barbier Labour Party in St. Peter? I would say there is always a risk at this point in time. I think um, there is a greater risk of self-damage than there is to the ABLP at this point. Notwithstanding that, politics is strange and it makes for strange bedfellows. And you can be enemies today and friends tomorrow. You can, it can be so bitter, but you end up sleeping in the same bed. And I would suggest that if we take any example from St. Lucia, what strengthens Michael's hand is if he can collude with the UPP or the, op the two opposition parties and not have them contest the seat. And that creates the trouble for the ABLP. And it strengthens his hand because all of a sudden it, is not, it would not be a matter of um, insufficient resources or, 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 or the party color. And that is how King and Friedrich were able to win as independents. But it is not normal that if all, all parties contest that the independent will win. It's highly unlikely. But you cannot commit political suicide in terms of the party um, mechanisms and discipline. And then expect that the leader will then genuflect the leader will not genuflect because once the leader genuflects that means that that is a weakness that he is demonstrated publicly and that would be the end of Gaston Brown so if any concessions are to be made they will have to be made without the prime minister genuflecting and at the same point in time it opens the the, the hand of Asa Michael to at least have some type of collaboration collusion with 
minority parties at this time. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Knight, very, very briefly, do, do you think that um, the Prime Minister Gaston Brown has lost any political capital for uh, the entire debacle that has been had with Asset Michael? Uh, statements he's made uh, publicly alleging wrongdoing against Michael, much of it rehashing allegations that uh, were already known, uh, but some of them fresh allegations. Um, do you, how, how do you think that has affected the, the Prime Minister at all, if you think so? Um, I don't think in any significant fact factor because, um, you know, he's already disciplined Asset Michael in the strongest way possible. Um, he has he has denounced him as a potential candidate and said that he cannot serve um, in any future cabinet. He has dismissed him. I, I think there's a legitimate question to be asked about, you know, the the timings of of what he did and and how much he knew and 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 why he took the time that he took. But I think all of that is is going to be um you know something that is going to be not a consequential thing insofar as the election because it's a settled issue at this point i mean it there's a full stop at the end of all this saga the prime minister has said that he's not going to have asset michael serving an administration mm. what would be damaging to asset uh to, um the, the gus and brown as as um dr Bradford rightfully alluded to is if he were to any in any way we can't on this position and by the way um he has in the past welcomed um uh, asset michael back into the fold after dismissing him and stuff like that but, so, but i think that after all that has been said and done and after the particularly the public statements in parliament if he were to now go back and say well we've mended fences and uh, you know you're welcome back and you can you can you know you know run and i think that that would be very damaging to his credibility and i don't think that it would be a, a very a very wise political thing he, he would not do very he would not very look very good he looked very mm -hmm. weak and in the, and that is not something that i think if i know the prime minister well he would wish to look like so i think that mm -hmm. is uh, ultimately not going to be that big of a factor uh, dr oswald thomas a similar question but let me play this clip first the biggest challenge that i have had in my political career was to literally control the member for saint peter to restrain him from abusing public resources that has been my biggest challenge yeah, for someone who uh, listening and asked themselves, you know, well, if the prime minister was convinced that um, that the gentleman in question lacked integrity, um, and if the prime minister alleges that the, the, the gentleman attempted to abuse public resources, uh, you know, don't you think people ask why, why did you put him in your cabinet and and then fire him and then reappoint him again? Uh, so it's a similar question, which is, do you think there's been any political damage to the leader at all uh, from doing so? I don't think there's any political. I think um, the leader was clearly making a statement uh, to the nation as to why Asad Michael sh and, and, and to the labor rights uh, more so, why Asad Michael should not run again um, in, and, and in any part of government. And I think he was signaling a message to the people of, of, of St. Peter, but more so the party. And so the question is, is Asat Michael popularity within the party, the rank and file. Um, and I think that kind of statement that the leader makes uh, damage Asat credibility as opposed to him. And they see him as a stronger person standing up for, for not only right, but in terms of, of good governance. And that is, and for him to do it um, openly, he's also saying that I'm running a transparent government and therefore this guy is not fit so take your pick 
The only thing I want to say that I know they, they, they alluded to polling, but, um, you know, leader, we just can't use polling alone to determine who runs. There has to be uh, um, more than polling. We have to look at right of fit. We have to look at the talent that person brings to the party as well as to the country. All of those things has to be taken in consideration. And we have to always remember that polls only have a life of 48 hours. And therefore, anything happens after that, people's minds can change. Mm -hmm. We also have to look at the politicking and and how one is is received by the constituent because the constituents also play a role because ultimately they're the ones who decide who the winner and losers will be so this is very very important mm -hmm. matter and so mm -hmm. I, I think that um if the prime minister himself um may not want to speak with us at michael i'm certain that there are senior members of the party who can meet with michael and discuss his future, mm -hmm. uh, both in, in, in the party and in elective politics. Okay. And so, you know, there's a rule of thumb, if you can't be king, you, may, you, you become kingmaker. Mm -hmm. So uh, if he loves the party that he says, yes. then he has to make that decision. Yes. Uh, as uh, Dr. George Brathwaite, um, what does the party risk if it runs with Michael Brown, despite his criminal court case? I mean, he hasn't been found guilty of anything as yet. Um, I, I suppose polling might show that he is still popular, but uh, he, he does have a, a criminal matter for which he, he was relieved of his position while he deals with that matter in court. Um, is there any risk if they continue to run with Michael Brown? Okay. M my knowledge of the situation, and, and I know all, all members involved quite intimately. Uh, the reality is that uh, if we take perception as politics, Michael Brown has never been, in the eyes of Antiguans, perceived as a vexatious soul. The fact that there has been no court case or, or a conviction, I do not think it will rule him out. I think what it plays into is a narrative where it may dis have the, the, the Prime Minister a bit disconcerted, given all the other allegations and particularly those public mouthings between himself and michael so that mr brown's position he's seen as as a person in terms of calm demeanor in fact some would say that the allegations and i'm not going to call them are unbelievable and if you take it in in that context i i i think it is smooth running for mr brown if he wants to run but he may also decide that he'll pull back and and I, I, I see nothing wrong. I think both Browns could work and the ABLP can maintain the seat. However, my last comment on this, I do not think that you should wait two years for a general election. You see, you do not wait for things to always mobilize and you do not wait for all stoplights to stay green before you leave home. And I think you should be preparing to call an election certainly as, as soon as the winter season is over. Um, uh, Mr. Carlin Knight, very, very quickly on that same question, um, what do you think uh, would be strategically wise in terms of uh, Michael Brown's candidacy? I mean, the PM did say in an interview that he is more concerned about that constituency than he is about St. Peter. 
Yeah, I mean, so it really depends on what the polling is, is going to say. Um, um, well, there are two things I think at play here. It's a sort of a principal point about about you know how do you have a, a member on your ticket that is dealing with this criminal matter uh, and potentially maybe even if he was to call an election and then he was convicted, you still have to then hold a by-election again for the seat, right? So, like, I mean, we can't presume anything at this point. So I think it is a matter of he's right to say he should just let him deal with that issue and you should really take some time off from politics and go and deal with your issues in your private life and then come back if and when it is sorted. And then, I mean, the Labour Party is not short of people that want to run for it. So it's a question of polling and, 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 um, and what the, choosing the best possible person in light of the fact of this you know, cloud of doubt over the potential Michael Brown candidacy. Mm. Uh, and, and Dr. Oswald Thomas, I want to just touch on this subject before because we don't have a lot of time, but I want to touch on the subject of uh, candidates who are advancing in, in, in seniority. Um, uh, Sir Robin uh, and Sir Malvin, for example. I mean, if we look at Sir Robin, I, if I'm not incorrect, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he's currently serving his 10th term in Parliament. Do you think there's anything to be uh, gained from retiring older candidates, even if they've been repeatedly successful uh, and fielding new talent? Well, I mean, I, I wanted to say very, very quickly that the Michael Brown situation, he has not been convicted of any crime, and therefore you have to allow him to run especially if he enjoys the popularity in his constituency because to to take him out and put somebody else the labor rights to the vote on their seat and give that seat back to the upp um in terms of 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 persons advancing in age what needs to happen is that the party has to revisit that maybe look at a retirement age for for politicians so we can have younger blood come up into the ranks that's something that 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 may have to do but don't forget that we 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 need youth but we also need experience mm. and so some of these guys have been there have been experienced and able to stable the ship of state so this is something that the party has to re revisit or the country may have to re revisit because the reality is we have passed laws and politicians love to pass laws that um, uh, you know the teachers should retire, the civil servants should retire, the grave diggers should retire, and what age they should retire, and what age you have to retire to get social security. So why not put a retirement age for politicians? Mm. Uh, I, I'll go to Mr. Knight for our last word because I, I just want to get your particular perspective, Mr. Knight, on the same question. Um, for instance, uh, uh, somebody like Sir Robin who's serving his tenth term, but of course he's been uh, consecutively successful in that constituency. Um, uh, do you do you do you see any value to retiring uh, candidates who are uh, becoming more senior? I've always been on on the um, the side of the point of view that you should be able to challenge incumbents, and that no one should be allowed to to just you know uh, continue into perpetuity. And so I think that yes, um, you know, politics should be should should be a matter of succession planning and allowing individuals to make contributions. And I think if you don't have a, a political system that is sufficiently enough, um, uh, sufficiently uh, responsive enough, that you get a kind of a stagnation and a kind of a, a, a retardation in some senses of the views and and and, and the, 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 the ability for people to contribute. If you just um, have this system in which is sort of a birthright thing, a wait your turn kind of a thing. So I've always been of the view that if not retiring, 
at the very least, we should be able to challenge incumbents and that no one should be guaranteed to see just because they have won it in the previous election. And so I would, I would, I would earn the side of saying, yes, people should be challenged and indeed if they have reached a certain age, the prospect of them um, 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 finding another role to play in the political party, if not a, 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 a member of parliament, should be looked at. With that, we're going to have to end this segment here. We have stepped over time. Um, I want to say thank you to all three of our panelists. We were joined by uh, Dr. George Brathwaite. Uh, he is a lecturer in the Department of Government Sociology, Social Work and Psychology at UE Cavill, also a former consultant editor at Caribbean Times. Uh, we were joined as well by Dr. Oswald Thomas, political and social commentator, director of political affairs at uh, Paramount Communications, also a member of the and stalwart of the Antigua Barbuda Labour Party. Uh, and we were joined as well by Mr. Carla Knight, uh, a graduate student studying economics abroad currently and a political and social commentator. Thanks to all three of you. Yeah, no problem.